Chantel's a genius, so I just hinder her progress really. No! <laughs> <laughs> I'm chief admin, and I, but I do delegate to Tiso and George. Welcome to Surviving Society. This season's broad theme is how we continue to deal with the legacies of empire. I'm thrilled to announce that we have Chantal Lewis and Tiso Regis from Surviving Society here. It's sort of the exemplary of what a public sociologist can do what you can do as an early career researcher and how you can engage in all stages of your career. So Chantelle is a part-time PhD student in sociology at Goldsmiths and Tiso is a full-time PhD student in the geography department at UCL. My alma mater. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everyone looks tired. I know. Everyone looks finished. Man. Whenever we do sessions with young people, we're doing the graveyard shift, we sort of get like, well I try and get everyone to stand up and like, jump around, but I won't make you guys do that. Is everyone all right? Has everyone got coffee? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna try keep you alive. So, um, behind us is basically a slideshow. Pictures of us with our guests, images that we use basically via our social media channels. Basically, the slideshow of images, before we sort of get into what we do and how we um, use podcasting for public sociology, the images behind you sort of show how we leverage both audio and image through representation on social media channels. But we also use them as representations for the possibility of representation within sociology and more broadly the social sciences. The possibility but also paying homage to the fact we've always been here. It's just whether we have been quote-unquote represented or not and as many of you know academia is not very representative of people like myself and Tiso, which brings us on to how we started the podcast. We've got some questions that we're going to go through. One of the questions that the organisers sent us was, why do you feel the format of the podcast is an effective way to do public sociology? How can this, or does this at times, operate a more appropriate means of communication than the visual? Right, I would try to answer that in the most layman type way I can answer it because I think academia has a problem of kind of overcomplicating things. So public sociology, most people do public sociology, they live that. So how we navigate difference in our day-to-day -day life, that's sociology, right? How we talk about things in our day-to-day life, we, we do it all the time, but we not recognised as such. So the podcast gives these people an ability, well our podcast, the ability to kind of match that, resonate that with theory and see that there's, there's a wider conversation going on. Mm. I've just realised as well, before I sort of introduce the questions, I don't know how many of you have actually listened to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't want to assume that you do listen to it. So basically, um, our podcast is, ba is a, a sociology podcast, but it's an anti-racist, class politics, race and class and, and analysis type podcast. And we're going to talk about our subjectivities a bit well, more through. I'm just add the visual stuff. Visual scene is a space that's commanded by corporates. YouTube's probably the most interesting space at the moment, but still, this space is controlled by a corporate who kind of uses algorithms to dictate what, who sees what and who gets viewed, right? So, podcasts are, are kind of a low-cost low cost way of getting your voice heard. Mm. And you can see the, kind of, by the kind of proliferation of podcasts. Ironically, podcasts were started by Apple, the most corporate entity of the world, right? Mm. So, it shows you how that kind of corporate, that top-down power can be taken and owned by people at the bottom. Yeah, we've been thinking a lot about that recently, about how we usually, when we get asked about like the logistics of the podcast, we always have to repeat ourselves about the fact that we're not owned by an institution, that we are just a collective of people that want to see change in society, basically, think that sociology can give us the tools to do that. And so often, like I study at Goldsmiths, T studies at UCL now, but we actually met at Goldsmiths. People want to affiliate what we do with an institution. It just shows how like corporatized and institutionalized even our creative endeavors are. And we're just like, nope, it's separate, it's us. But we're trying to sort of be on the periphery of academia, but also operate within as well, sort of trying to do that hybrid type thing. I think it's like, again, podcasts give the ability for people to voice their own concerns, their own lives, their own narratives, right? Which I think that everyone in this room understands that representation is important and we understand that sometimes we've been misrepresented or sometimes not represented at all. And that absence affects us in our lives, right? So you're bombarded with images of beauty, images mm. of what, what, what a perfect family is, and you look at your life and you think, well, something's lacking. Mm. And so podcasts give you a way to kind of communicate those feelings, right? 
Definitely. And just like my sort of answer to the first question about um, podcasting being a way of communicating the visual is for me like so I'm neurodiverse so I've got um, I'm high functioning ADHD I've got dyspraxia and I've got dyslexia often throughout my whole academic career and study I've come up against barriers which mean I haven't been able to get into spaces because of these three neurodiverse traits and the academy is set up for people that are neurotypical and that means that so quite often when it comes to understanding theory or comes to understanding or reading research papers or reading journals like I'm always that little bit behind and what podcast has done for me is given me a space to express myself and show that I am actually I belong in the academy it's just that the rules that you have aren't set up for people like me Um, I'm sure there's other neurodiverse people in the audience that can empathize with that but what talking sociology has helped me do, I mean, I think you could say this as well, T, it's really helped me with my PhD and it's really helped me with my overall writing. And even that's through not writing and being synthesised in our yeah. thoughts. I think it's made me, uh, I want to raise the point when the disease are being talked about, it makes us question what work is, right? Yeah. Our definitions of what works. So in the, the academy, the definition is very narrow. We sit there, we read papers and we're tested very narrow. But this is not at PhD level, it's at all levels of our education. And is that necessarily fair? Not everyone's the same. Yeah. We're forced through a universalised system, given my, my social background, it, it disadvantaged me because I couldn't do those things, right? The idea of talking, the idea of check talking to create new forms of work and that have value is powerful in, in 2020. And one of the sort of organic things, just look at this picture of me now, one of the sort of organic <laughs> things that has come out of the podcast, which I think talks to some of the stuff that Mark was talking about this morning, some of the positive things about social media is, our executive producer, who is a legend, George, he can't be here today, but he's doing the editing for us from what we're talking about today. He's a really good photographer, and he takes pictures whilst we're recording, and some of these images, particularly when we're being very expressive, we've used as memes so particularly during the general election we were using pictures of us there's some really good you'll see them come up basically of me and tiso looking pissed off so like it'll be like oh chukra amin has joined the lib dems and just a picture of us too like mm, like that so and it kind of it, like that's a good one that's us being annoyed so images like this of me and T together we've yeah organically through the podcast even though we are audio we've kind of found a way for the visual to be yeah let me roll in my eyes we'll use it for like politics and stuff and just talking about current affairs and people that are just saying yeah general politicians that are talking bullshit we'll use that I think another thing about podcasts and one of the things that I'd say guests sometimes struggle with particularly professors right is applying lived experience to theory so that's a really important part of what we try to do with surviving society and it does push a lot of academics when they're in front of us and they're talking about the research because we will be like what do you mean by epistemology or how does that apply to life or how does that apply to people's lived experience we're always trying to get them to think about how stuff we're doing within the academy can be spoken about like in your day-to-day or experience in your day-to-day and that's not to say that we don't do that in the academy but sometimes we don't always use the language which you can easy access basically i found that when they've come into the studio academics they still live in that bubble (laughs) and they don't understand that universities are part of society right but they still insist on this separation, that is a binary separation between them and us. So when they come in and we've asked them to explain terms or speak normally, given that they speak every day to people, they're used to telling people stuff. But I'm asking you to convey in a language that I can understand. Like I said, the, the kind of analogy I have in my head is like a reformation. They're the Catholic Church still speaking in Latin, and we're speaking in the, in the, in the vernacular. And, it, and, it's that, and it's that lack of power that they have. And you can see it in their faces. And we've had established professors, yeah. people who have wrote books over 30 years, petrified, sure. petrified. <laughs> because they have to speak. And then they say, did that sound okay? I'm like, yeah. you do this, you've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. I'm in awe of you, right? <laughs> but right now, because the, they lack that power. Because I'm asking them to speak in a language that I can understand. And not just me, my audience, my friends. Mm. No? And there's no shade to professors, like we love you all, hence why we, we invite you on. But it does definitely, I think it sometimes pushes the more established academics more. Mm. And also this isn't, it's really fine line talking about this um, quote unquote accessibility, because we're not being anti-intellectual here, and we're not saying that there is merit in, in using 
um, academic language. Of course there is, but I think it's really good to do be able to do both. Um, and yeah, like I think as well, it's it's interesting who gets picked on in terms of talking in a way that's accessible and talking in a way that isn't. I'll give you an example. Like sometimes if we're talking to our peers that aren't that are. Um, outside of academia they'll be like can you say that in English or can you say that in a way that I understand it's like well no we need to start from the point of the knowledge and work back so let me try and take you on a journey of understanding what epistemology is rather than us saying that that word is bullshit do do, do you know what I mean? Yeah yeah, 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 100% but it's also like I think it's about respect because I can equally speak in slang to these people right and confuse them because that's the thing I know right but you don't do that it's out of respect so I'm trying to bring you in the journey bring you into my world so out of respect for you and my audience, I will try to kind of explain stuff. Where I do use slang, I'll use it appropriately. What are the limitations of podcasting? Right. I guess one of the limitations, obviously, if people don't know, it's, it's ignorant to assume everyone's got access to the internet. One, that's one of the limitations. Two, it's uh, kind of it's an audio-visual. Sometimes people haven't got the capacity to listen for an hour or 45 minutes. To people in an in a, in a era of outrage and two-minute sound bites, a lot of people like that. Mm. But I would say those limits are quickly overcome because I think you, you listen, people listen to podcasts that resonate with them, right? So it's not like TV where you're kind of spoon-fed stuff. You're actually choosing this, right? So this is the first time, well, not the first time, since the advent of the internet and mobile technology, it's a bottom-up power. So you're, these are, the people at the bottom are creating content, so the content that you'll be interested in. Mm. So I had a whole um, Instagram page about trainers. I didn't know trainers were so popular, but people like that stuff. Mm. And it's that, it's that what kind of overcomes those minor limitations. Because people who find a podcast that like it, it resonates with them. That's why they're with you. I think it's about as well... I mean, one of the things about... I don't know how many of you know like some, some of the intricacies of podcasting, but basically, people's attention spans are very, very short. And the average... I think, I, I think I've got this right. Mark, you might know this. But the average listen of a podcast, I think it's only like 15 minutes or something like that. And we're actually... I mean, we've got quite a big listenership. It's very targeted on people that are studying social sciences um, or working in social sciences. But our podcasts actually have an average 70% listen Mm -hmm. and then 70% of the duration of the episode. So most people will listen to the majority of our episodes. It's that last 10 minutes when we lose you. (laughs) But yeah, most people don't actually listen. So one of the limitations of podcasting is that you might not hear the full thing. I think another limitation is people would say it creates echo chambers, right? Yeah. So people assume, but there's a big negative connotation about echo chambers because people associate the far right or grooming gangs. But this is an echo chamber, right? We're sitting here, a group of academics, we broadly agree, but that's how most discoveries are made. Between groups of experts speaking to each other, disagreeing over minutiae. So echo chambers are not new, but the spinning we put on it is new, right? As in the negative things. I don't see that as a limitation, but that's a, a, a kind of general critique of, of podcasts. They create echo chambers, but... I don't see that as a problem. I think when I first started to really critique myself personally, the, the notion of echo chambers, was listening to a podcast um, by our friends, Ez and Jade, the Echo Chamber podcast. You'll see them on our um, um, slideshow, actually. They talk about how echo changes themselves can be spaces of development and spaces of changing people's minds, which quote-unquote pro- progression. And they shouldn't be mistaken for places where we all just agree as well. <laughs> It's probably one of the most challenging things about the podcast is we do broadly agree with most people that come on, but sometimes they say stuff and you're like, oh, why you said that? But I think what people are misunderstanding, this is not a new thing. This has a historical tradition in Europe, right? So if you go back to Enlightenment, this is like the salons of Voltaire. Mm. So we're in a coffee shop, we're doing the same thing. Mm. But instead of grand intellectual, this is... Dave and Pete down the road talking about stuff that affects them in their life. And I think just another point on echo chambers and talking about sociology, we spoke a little bit about like positivism earlier, objectivity, and we are not apologetic about the fact that we are not an objective podcast. We do not subscribe to objectivity. It's an anti-racist podcast. It's an anti-transphobic podcast. It's an anti-sexist podcast. It's a podcast about talking about the problems with patriarchy. Yeah, it's, it's not about a marketplace of ideas. It's about putting forward that people have a right to be respected. Difference shouldn't 
shouldn't be something that people call out as weird or something that they don't understand, therefore it's not of value. Like, it's not about that. We're not going to invite people onto the podcast that we know are going to spout uninformed ideas about race and class. Like, it's not about debate. It's not like the Daily Politics show. I think... So, one of my interests is the, the far right and whiteness, right? So, there was an interest to get about getting someone like Toby Robertson on. But we agreed that he would use that as a vehicle, and it's not right for him to use that space. Yes. And so, we took a decision earlier on to... We, we, we'll discuss these issues, but it's in a, in a more reasoned environment, because these issues are quite uh, emotive, really, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 really emotive. And, like, also... In giving space to people that have got prejudicial views, you're sort of playing into the narrative that those people are being silenced, when we very much know those people dominate literally every single media, even the media that are supposed to be like looking out for us, cough, cough, guardian. It's very important that our subjectivities, mine and Tiso's, our white, our friends, our colleagues, people that we care about that are on the margins are at the forefront of what we do. And it's about protecting those people and what we put out there. And I think in the age of, we kind of touched it in the, in the last talk, where things of ownership, right? So we're putting that stuff out there. So we have a responsibility to make sure these, these, are not, these are not anyone, these are my pals, right? So I want the best for my pals. So I don't want anyone to be talking shit about them, right? Mm. So we want them to put across the, like a, a safe environment, right? Yeah, definitely. The limitations of podcasting, just talking more practically now, lots of people have been talking to us about wanted to start podcasting, which I think is brilliant. I think the more sociological podcasting that's done, the better. I think sociology has got so much space. There's so much in, in sociology that can help us through some of the really big person questions that society's facing right now. But I think lots of people underestimate, and I know we underestimate this, how time-consuming it is doing a podcast. And there's so many things that I wish I'd known, that I know now, that I wish I'd known when we first started, particularly with regards to timing and planning. I would say it's about 40% recording the podcast and having a good time with tea, with the guests, talking about sociology and how their research is informed, like different people's research, basically. The other 60% is social media engagement, uploading episodes, editing, making episode notes match how you're marketing your episodes, like so many different things that, you're do- that you have to do. And using things like Buffer so you can schedule your posts is just integral. Like being really clear about which mediums you want to use. So we just use Twitter and Instagram. Like we don't use Facebook. We don't do any sort of e-marketing. We don't, we used to have a website and we don't anymore. So we try and limit the amount of quote-unquote creative labour that we have to do. Like we have editor, does our editing, but we pay for the editing out of our own money. But we've recently set up a Patreon over the last six months and we're getting people to contribute because we do believe it's a public resource. A lot of what we do or what we put out there, we put the episode there and it's just there like magic, but so much behind the scenes stuff goes on. But also you've got to, you've got to schedule your seasons, like who you're going to invite on. You've got to get their schedules. Like academic schedules are really all over the place. Like... More recently, and big up UCU and our academic colleagues and teachers on strike, by the way, but more recently, like, we were supposed to be scheduling our season nine, which we'll be recording in April, but we haven't been able to do that because most of our guests are rightly so on strike, so it means we'll be in a little bit of a rush towards the end of March being like, can you come on the podcast, can you come down in April? I think the worst thing for me, and I, I think everyone agrees, is listening to yourself back. No one likes hearing their own voice. So this is my bane of my life, getting this guy <laughs> to listen to back to episodes. <laughs> but I think as researchers, as potential as lecturers, to listen back to yourself is cathartic, right? So you understand where you have where you've been unclear. So where you've learned to kind of slow down or maybe talk a bit clearer or maybe take time, pause longer, little things. But that actual process of actually listening to yourself, horrendous. One of the, one of the worst things ever. But it is, like like you say, it's where, like, the po- since I've got managed to get you to start listening more to them, <laughs> the podcast has got yeah. better because we're able to develop yeah. together in how we position questions to academics, how we interact, because sometimes if it's a subject we're really, like, passionate about, we're really excited about, sometimes we'll just talk too much over the guests. Um, sorry to anyone that we've done that to um, <laughs> in the past, but we try our best not to do that. It is time-consuming setting up a podcast, but... 
I'm going to give you some free advice here. So a couple of bits of advice that I'd give you is if you're going to set up a podcast, pre-record, if you're doing a season, pre-record about six episodes and release them all at once. So start with something. The problem that we had is that we started with one episode and went and didn't and released sort of on a sporadic, in a sporadic way over the, our first 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then it was only in July um, 2019 that we started releasing weekly content. And it meant we had to be more organized with our admin and how we were putting um, our message across and how we were engaging in social media. But that is where you see the most, your, your listeners grow, the more engagement is when you're getting regular, consistent, consistent content, but in a way that is structured so you can still live your life. Like, so we'll record for a month. So we'll do about two recordings a week in late afternoon for about four weeks. And then those episodes will be released sort of eight weeks after that. So we sort of work on an eight week, um, yeah basis. Chantal's a genius. I just hinder her progress really. No! (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm not, no, I'm I'm chief admin and I, but I do delegate to Tiso and George um, about how the things that we have to do um, outside of just sitting in the episode and recording. I think as well, one of the things that's quite good about what we do is we don't do too much preparation, and that sounds that might sound horrific, room full of um, <laughs> academics, but we just ask people to send through their abstracts, mm. and then we get them to talk about their research, and we just ask some questions about but, it. But that's the whole point. I think I want the, the podcast's ability to kind of speak naturally and almost informally, so it's a conversation about something you're really interested in. So I'm interested in your research. You've done your research, so you're interested. So let's have a conversation, but we're not talking to academics. So you don't have to get into the minutia of the detail. What, who said this, who quoted that. I don't care, right? But let's talk about it and how we link it to the political because ultimately it's about politics, right? Yeah, definitely. And I guess like it would be quite easy to critique that, um, that way of doing things. And we're so up for that sort of critique because we're, we end up putting out sound bites of big theory, which is quite we can be quite problematic and we do try and rectify that in putting people's papers or books in the episode notes like there's different ways that we promote the episode which links to other bits of work um but yeah it's you are getting snippets of yeah, but scholarship th- that's taken like years to do basically but i think our audience are used to that because they've got they're usually undergrads or at some point in the academic career so you've got the tools and the tools to go and do that yourself right so sometimes it's just about a way into a topic but sometimes some of the topics we talk about so one we spoke about epistemologies now to some undergrads they find it difficult to get to what is knowledge what is truth these are big questions but if you someone could just say to you oh, it's, it's about questioning actually what knowledge is right and breaking it down in the most basic level it, that goes a long way because when you go to, when you're in a lecture someone says something, no one says a word. No, about 90% of the room don't understand. But no one says a fucking word. Like, it's, it's you know it I mean? is. Like, it's been so good, actually, having some of our, like, our favourite academics come in to talk to us about work they've been doing for decades and just saying to them, what did you mean in 1989 yeah. when you said that? Or what did you mean when you said that in your book? Um, so it's t- good getting them to do, like, the audio, audio yeah. version of it. Mm. Yeah, um, I think we just answered this question. How do you incorporate visual language? I think I think three A is probably the best one, right? So how do we balance the need to create impact and grab attention? Uh, so we kind of touched on that, right? We don't. We don't. Like in a, in like I said, in the era of outrage, I don't need to contribute to that kind of toxic environment. I don't need to do that. So we just talk about things seriously, but not in a kind of threatening way. We just have a conversation. We don't have to have these horrible sound bites that fly around. Definitely. And like a, a really good episode that we've got with Aaron Winter and yeah, Aurelia Monden, yeah. who have got a book coming out about the far right and just reactionary democracies. Like we disagree with reactionary yeah, ideas yeah, 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 being yeah, yeah. spouted mm-hmm. through media. Like these reactionaries, like these, the far right are just embedded and so reliant on people pushing out binarized ideas, saying stuff which is just very prejudicial and in very like... I think sometimes it's easy to make glib statements to flatten big concepts and simplify it because it's a message that it works. Governments do it, we do it. If I'm selling myself, I'll I'll say something short and pithy rather than try to go into detail because detail might expose me. 
So I'll say something short and pithy and it catches someone's attention. Do you want to go out tonight or something like that? And just, you know, just yeah, yeah, quick yeah. and pithy, you know? And we just, we are so, yeah, we're so against that sort, mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, and I guess it's probably one of the reasons why sociologists haven't always been as influential as we'd like to be in um, social policies because we don't have a yes or no answer. It's not what, it's not, it's not one way or that way. It's nuanced, it's not binarized, it's complicated, and that's what we're trying to put across in the podcast that things aren't what they seem uh, as who's that? Is that sociological uh, social imagination? Yeah, social imagination, but I think that's where so things like Twitter or about 148 characters, Instagram or all about images, I think sometimes that's where academia comes against it because I'm so used to saying, no, I want to prove you right, prove you wrong, sorry, and have this big long answer. And but today's youth want kind of piffy, quick answers, right? I tell you what, though. So we used this image, like we <laughs> used it recently, and we were like, oh, when Pretty Patel says, says that she's been bullied. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so we do play on some of those like reactionary things, but in a way we use it through images, but not in a way in a way that supports an anti-racist and class politics that are that what we're about um not in a way that's gonna demonize groups of people but more in a way that speaks truth to power what are the challenges of ethical representation when doing something as dynamic and spontaneous as podcasting um i don't know i think sometimes giving people the, the space to be themselves right yeah so so we have an alternative women's hour right yeah, so yeah. it's something i don't take part in so they have that space to talk about stuff that I, I don't really have the knowledge to speak on. Yeah, like we'll talk about, we'll have um, gender politics and um, talking about patriarchy and sexism with you. I'll do that on the podcast. <laughs> that's something that's embedded in every single podcast we do, I'd say. But we make the decision to have an alternative to Women's Hour where I'll speak to other women that are doing activist work or scholarship work that is based on um women's issues basically and that that's i try and make each of those episodes to be inclusive of women women of color black women predominantly um hence why it's called alternative to women's hour because often we don't get the space to talk about um our feminism um so yeah so that's that is really important and an ethical decision that we make between us I think what's really difficult, because we're so clear about what our politics are, we sometimes, and George, yeah, apologies about this, we sometimes <laughs> get a bit overexcited within our podcast um, and say stuff that's libelous, so George has to edit it out. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's libelous, but, like, we know it's true, as in, like, Boris Johnson's racist. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? So if you're putting stuff out there in the public domain, you do have to be careful. Like, we might be proper lefties, but at the same time, like, they can come and sue us. Yeah. So when it, with regards to who we talk about, institutions that we talk about, we have to be careful. I think, I think, it's, just, I think this, it's the same rules about, sh about sharing in general that we have there. You have to be, understand that you're sharing parts of you to the world, right? And so people have a some people are going to get offended and some people might take it to the extreme so we've had people say stuff say stuff to us online be a bit racist but i expect that right because i'm in the public domain right but some people might not be ready for that and we, that's something you have to think about definitely and we've like more recently particularly where our listenership's gone up um quite a lot um in the last few months we've had the far right try and hack our soundcloud We've had them try and hack our Twitter. We've, yeah, we've had quite, not as much racist abuse as I, as I expected, but I'm sure, like, give them time. Not big enough yet. Probably. Yeah, not big enough yet, maybe. But yeah, we still do get quite a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So ethically, like, if I was just doing the podcast on my own, I think I'd find that really difficult, like, to deal with. Um, but because I have Tiso and George, and we're, we're so close and we're friends, it means that you don't feel like, the, t the attack is individualised and we sort of support each other through that sort of thing. Um, and we know that we're putting out stuff that is in complete um, opposition to the far right. Like, that is one of the core, core um, messages of, of the podcast. Um, and against not just far right quote-unquote, I don't want to call them activists, what do you call them? Just like the neoconservative fool, that's kind The neoconservatives, yeah. like, we are fully, fully in opposition yeah. to them. Um, and of course they're gonna um, 
have a problem with us. Um, so yeah. I don't mind. I like Benjamin, so it's good. Cool. T doesn't mind it, but I mind it. Um, and then other ethics. I think people do get nervous when they come on the podcast. Um, and we always give people the space to go away from the podcast and if they've said something and they don't feel like they want to put out there we edit it no matter what like we never put anything out there that people aren't comfortable with um, we're really ca- we have we're really careful like I said before where if if anyone said anything that could be remotely taken as racist sexist transphobic classes then we will take it out and we'll challenge people on that. A lot of behind the scenes editing has to go on when you're trying to be as, as representative and ethical as you can in this sort of um, anti-racist endeavour. And of course, we're going to have made mistakes like along the way. Like There's no doubt about it. Like We definitely would have made mistakes. And we're, up, we're always up for being reflexive about our practice. Like We were talking to Mark about this earlier. Like, it's so interesting how much people want to make what we're doing a neoliberal endeavour, and that is not what we are. Um, and how they'll, people will approach us in a way that sort of reproduces metrics, things like that, that we see within the academy. And obviously, like, we want more listeners because we want more people to engage in sociology. We want more people to engage in um, scholarship that's produced that's anti-racist, that's put forward by black people, that's put forward by people of colour. But at the same time, like, we have to, we have to be careful in how um, what we're doing basically can be co-opted um, by institutions, by academic... Um, I don't want to say policy, but, but- like... But it has been co-opted, so I must admit to a throwaway theory, and someone's quoted in their PhD, like yeah. without giving credit. So there comes, yeah. a, there comes a, a thing about academic practice. So we're used to kind of giving credit to people who we get ideas from. It's far on. But someone took something from our podcast, and it's something I said directly, and he used it, he quoted it, but no credit to it. Yeah, so that that's a really good point. See, I forgot about that. This is a big problem we've had. And if anyone's got any advice on it, like, um, in our discussion, it'd be good to talk it through as a group. We've had... And it surprises me, but I guess a lot of, I, a lot of you will probably say I'm naive, probably because I'm an early career researcher, but we've had quite a lot of plagiarism. Um, and the plagiarism has kind of manifested with people not really realising they're plagiarising us and think they're kind of helping us. Um, and the plagiarism has also manifested with, number one, them not referencing us, us not being appearing in their referencing this, or them telling us that they were inspired by something that we've said. This is a direct example that Tiso's given, but there's been a couple of those. And it's like, oh, I got this idea from Surviving Society. I go on the journal and I look at it and I'm like, we haven't credited it. I think, I think it's, again, it comes out to understanding what knowledge is, right? So right now, at one point, we thought getting knowledge from the internet was bad. We could only go to the library. But now, it's accepted practice. We can get quotes on the internet. And I think it's that same process we're going to go through when you listen to podcasts, etc., etc., where people start thinking, oh, this is knowledge. I can use this, so I'm going to quote it. But right now, in this kind of, like, in-between phase, it's considered... I don't know what it's considered, really. Yeah, no, definitely. And there's been... But... Obviously, that's such a small minority, but we did have, a, yeah, a few incidents like that, particularly last year. But we were really clear on the podcast now that if you are going to use stuff from it, it's absolutely fine. Like, we want it, that to be the way. But, like, just make sure you're following, like, referencing guidelines um, it, and also referencing the people's work that are on the podcast as well is really important. Um, but oh, I was going to say so. What was it? It wasn't about referencing. What was it about? It was to do with... Oh, like... We've been, that's sort of a bit more of a negative thing, but a lot more books um, are featuring like extracts and conversations we've had. So um, we've had, um, we're in Alana Lenton's new book, we're in Imogen Tyler's new book. Guardian, um, was in. What's that? The Guardian, Michael Hobson's piece. Oh yeah, the Guardian did a little bit that we were in. So yeah, it's, it's not that we're trying to like, we're not any sort of, we're not profound scholars or doing anything <laughs> remotely radical. We're just talk, we're just doing academia in a way that is a bit different to the mainstream. And I think sometimes people see that difference as something that doesn't need to be credited, but it does still need to be credited just because it's not like on headed paper. So yeah. That is definitely something that has been a bit weird um, to deal with. And because we're so junior as well, like on paper, like it's sometimes you're kind of like, how am I going to tell this professor? Yeah, Guys, like 
you need to credit at me. <laughs> it's just, like I said, it's just weird. The power differential it creates when you're when you're leading something, and like I said, when you see a professor in that environment, that's someone you look up to. And most of the time, that people come onto the guests is people that we look up to, mm -hmm. people who've read books, people we quote all the time. And then when you see them in this space, and sometimes I've been shocked at how they've treated us. And you know that kind of old adage, never meet your heroes. Sometimes that is the most crushing thing. Like, yeah, it like, is. Like, we can't help, we got, we have to. Yeah, some of them, you it's think, a hard you're listen. a dick. I think because, has anyone got any questions? Because we have got to leave in like 20 minutes, but do you want to? Okay. Hi, I think what you're doing is an amazing project and really great and engaging. So thanks for sharing with us. No you're problem. Doing. I'm wondering or curious like why you chose to do the podcast and not some other thing like a, a documentary or, or YouTube channel or something. What why yeah. this money? Yeah. Um ease, accessibility. You can we first started recording our podcast just on dictaphones. We've now got a studio in, um, at Goldsmiths. I mean, it's not really a studio, it's just connected to an Apple computer and it's got like proper mics, but purely about capitals like, and accessibility, like, we would, obviously we'd love to do a documentary or, like a YouTube channel, but... but I, I, I didn't think that, that would feel right. So we were talking about things that are pissing us off, right? Yeah. So I, it's, that's not something you plan, it's spontaneous. I'm pissed off because things are shit. It initially started off as a PhD thing because I didn't realise PhDs were so isolated and lonely. I spend most of my time by myself reading books, and when I say to someone, I do a PhD, they're like, what? And I try to explain to them, and I can't, I can't encapsulate my title in a short, pithy sentence, and their eyes glaze over, they fall asleep. <laughs> and so if this was a platform for me, Chantel, to kind of talk and say, yeah, like, you understand. You get yeah, me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you ever feel like you should complement your podcast with something else, or you just want this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about money. It's just, it's yeah. literally about money. Like, it's so hard to run and how do you this. get the money? Exactly. So, we've got a Patreon. Um, we have done some sponsored bits, but we don't, we don't, we're very careful about who we partner with because, again, like, you don't want to reproduce these institutional, like, structures, all that sort of thing. So, we do have done some partnerships with different conferences and stuff, which means we've been able to do more um, innovative things. But, yeah, we would love to do that sort of thing, but it's just purely about money. But also, there's a, I think we need to be careful. There's a, a kind of replication of the neoliberal notion of growth, as growth is always a good thing. Yeah, That's yeah, a corporate yeah. mindset, right? Yeah. To grow continuously, but for what reason? Mm -hmm. Right? So sometimes we have to think, take a step back and think, what are we doing? So slow, incremental growth to kind of have a connection with people, because that's what we're looking for, to connect with people, right? We do that like every month, we just reflect on what we're doing and like yeah. how we're trying to work against that, yeah, notion of growth and, yeah. Because people, people almost say, oh, do you want to grow bigger? Do you want to grow bigger? To what extent? If I grow bigger, I lose control. And it becomes something other than what I want it to be. Mm. And so by having this kind of, I guess, if, if the idea to me, what's been that kind of direct democracy? The idea that I'm speaking to my people, about my people. So it gives them the chance to speak about what they want to speak about. Mm. Not being dictated to or whatever, you know? Mm, definitely. Great question though, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, one of the things, if I thought, for example, about myself doing podcasts, it's a bit of because I hate the idea of... Um, because you're, you're, you're talking and in conversation with people, it's not something you necessarily control. It's just wrong. You can't necessarily control. But you're recording that non-controlled. And I wonder, I mean, obviously it's edited, so you can get rid of this if you don't want. But have you ever um, finished a program and thought, right, you cannot use any of it because the whole thing has run out of control? No, because I tell people, I say to people, yeah. like, if, we're, if, they're, if they're saying something which is problematic, like like we said before, if it's racist, classes will just be like, stop. That's not happened very often. And this is goes back to the point about the podcast being about our subjectivities. We're not it's very difficult to get someone that's gonna come on that's gonna be completely opposite view to us, if that makes sense. There's definitely been episodes where I've been like, gotta take that out, gotta take that out because it's it's it could be misconstrued yeah. basically. So that does happen. 
Um, and it's more about protecting, protecting the podcast, protecting the person that said it, and also not upsetting other people. I feel the, the difficult thing is sometimes people are not natural speakers, right? Mm. So the worst thing is, we've all been in a situation, you're talking to someone, and they're awkward as they're sitting there, and you can sense the awkwardness coming off of them. Which happens a lot. Happens all the time. Happens a so lot. How do I keep this person talking when they don't really want to talk? <laughs> they actually want to just look at their script. And so it's about. So Chantel, before, Chantel and I, before we start talking, we just get them in and we just talk. We, we just talk maybe for an hour. Yeah, we have some sweets. Yeah, we sit down, talk about our lives, talk about the podcast, talk about their scholarship, trying to get them yeah. more comfortable, basically. This is, this is a non-threatening. I'm not looking to judge you or pull you up on anything that you said because I think as academics, we're always on the thinking, oh, we said the right thing. Who's going to say this? Have I plagiarised that? You're always thinking about who's going to say something. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's not about that, right? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, first of all, I um, totally feel like I just listened to one of your podcasts. Oh, I love it. is more so people that have their PhDs but when we set it up we kind of wanted it to be for people that aren't necessarily going to university so our working class peers or people that are at undergrad level that are like um, us aren't neurotypical and find understanding sociological theory quite complicated and want to hear it from a perspective that they might understand better so I think initially it was always about contributing to the academy but trying to connect the academy to people outside of as well general public sociology so yeah so i think undergrads were the core to people that we wanted to attract but it's quite interesting often when you're trying to get to undergrads like you end up getting academics um our listeners anyone that listens to our podcast is a potential guest we always say like it's quite what's quite unique about our podcast is podcasts in general are quite um, specialist. Ours is specialist, but our listenership is specialist as well. Yeah. Um, they've got specialist lived experience, they've got specialist scholar- scholarly um, uh, credentials, so they can come on the podcast, yeah. particularly if they've got a, um, a specialism in race and class and anti-racist movements as well. But also we've had like some, like, some kind of like crazy podcast that people come on and it's pure philosophy. And these people speak about stuff and sometimes feels that we don't really understand some science ones that you're thinking, well, I don't really have an expertise, but it's good to hear people's experience. Or that one we had about Instagram and images from India. Oh, Moitri. Moitri Basu, yeah. Or we had the guy about... Oh, Utsa. Yes. Utsa, talking about um, British Indian children and their leisure activities. And just 
how we talk about different parts of social life and connecting that to sociology and connecting that to our understandings of race and class. Yeah. Thank you for your presentation. Um, but I had a question about the editing process. Yeah. How do you deal with problems sometimes with like taking out the agency from the interviewee by editing out bits that might be problematic for you, the editor? So George or... is our editor and he's brilliant. If ever you want to um, <laughs> hire a sociological podcasting editor, he's available for a small, small fee, is what he would say if he was here. Um, <laughs> we don't edit that much of the podcast. Like George takes out a few like bits here and there, but he's very much of the school of thought that you have to keep the social within your um, audio. So people's like, I say like a lot, but it's really important for me to say like, because it's really intrinsic to my neurodiversity. So he doesn't, it's not something that he edits out loads. Does that, does that make sense? We, the guests say what they say, right? So unless they come back and say to me explicitly, so we had one about, about <laughs> bullying in schools. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So she came back and she said stuff that she shouldn't have said because she was under NDA. Now, non disclosure agreement. So, yeah, sorry. So, we explicitly, we, so she said, can we remove that? And we did. So, it's not about us per se, right. it's about what this person wants to say. And I don't want to mute their voice, I want them to say what they want to say. Mm. But sometimes, people come on and say too much and they, they get, get overexcited they get overexcited because they're in the, they feel they're in the same space so a lot of people come in and say stuff they shouldn't say they might be talking about their colleagues now at no point did i say to them we never say anything yeah. I say, they start telling me oh, i'm gonna tell you this tell you that tell you that i'm like all right, all right like fair enough but they'll come away and they'll be like can't actually say that and we're like no we know don't worry we're gonna take, take it out yeah so yeah the editing process is never I guess the kind of I guess the kind of short is it's never to make us look good, right? The podcast wants to maintain a certain standard, but that's so that therefore we take out anything libelous or anything that might be construed that might hurt us legally or that person legally. But what that person says is what that person said by and far, unless they tell us to take it out. Yeah. Um, how many times do you like listen to your own podcast? Oh. Right. If I'm honest, right, Chantel's been beating me to do this. Right? <laughs> so I've started to do this more, but. Once, you do once, don't you? No, I no, did no, that before. No. no, no, right, so you know what I've been doing? What? Twice, right? Twice? Oh my goodness. But you know what I've been doing? I have to get my mum to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen to it when I'm running. So, George is so good, like, oh, he's, like, I don't know what we do about him, basically. He's such a... Yeah, he's, he's, he, he's conscientious. He, he edits so fast, and that's to do with his own, yeah, like, work pace or what he does. <laughs> See, he edits within a couple of days and then we listen to the edit and 80% of the time, no, 75% of the time, it doesn't need any um, anything changed. Yeah, but I listen to, before it goes out, particularly like as the podcast has got bigger and when you're talking about big subjects, sensitive subjects, I listen about four to five times before it goes out. Well, I want to ask like something related to this, that like the knowledge that you're you're sharing is really important to get it out into the public sphere and to have it in a digestible language that people can understand. Like, what is your thoughts on the fact that it's so temporal? It's like so time dependent. So you're just sharing this knowledge in this one moment, in this one podcast, and then you move on to your next episode and your next episode. And it's hard. I know that the new listeners can come back at different time points and listen in, but the knowledge is still very located. It's hard to like I would probably disagree with you and say that it's very much a, chrono a chrono chronology. Mm -hmm. So I think you see from episode one all the way up to episode 74 now that we're on, Ooh. how we have grown as people, how we have grown in our ways of thinking, um, how we have come become even more adamant in that our subjectivities are so important in what we put out there. Um, because more broad, because it's a broad um, church in terms of being about race and class, episodes complement each other. So people will come on the, the podcast and they'll cross-reference other episodes. So we do say to people, if you're going to come on the, on the podcast, you need to know what we're doing and what we've been doing and connect that to other conversations that have happened. We have had people come on that haven't listened to the podcast. I was talking to Mark about this earlier, like, 
it's so easy can get co-opted as another neoliberal mechanism for academics to put out their work which obviously like we do want to help people but at the same time it's not about that it's about changing people's minds and it's about contributing to a better society like it's not about it's not an individualized endeavor but like anything it's like preparation for the interview right you you can see that when someone comes you can see that but I would kind of say to speak to uh, Guru Chantel, it's, I don't think it's temporal. So some of the podcasts, when I listen back to the older ones, and I go back in time, I listen and I realise this person's moved me, man. It's changed my point of view on things. Yeah. So when Yusuf came on and spoke about youth culture, it changed my attitude about youth culture, how I see people. So I just thought youth culture was a madness, people stabbing each other for no reason. But he, he spoke to me and I thought, what well, his words resonated with me. So I thought maybe I need to change my, my point of view. Mm. And that, I think that's powerful. So I've got at different points, uh, the most recent one, Amber came on and spoke about black feminism. Are you using it as a tool to analyse difference? And it blew my mind. So a man's reading bell hooks. And I'm like, yes. And those kind of, it's those moments. For me, when I do this, it's those movements that make me think, yeah, this, this is the right thing to do. This is what I was meant to do. This is what knowledge is about, right? Something I've read, something that resonated me so much, it's made me change the attitude of how I treat people. And just more um, logistically in terms of what you were saying, we get our, every guest gives us links to work and things that have inspired them, we put them in all of our episode notes as well, so even though, yeah, you could say that it's a snapshot of knowledge in terms of it being an hour-long podcast, there's other bits of information that are accessible via the episode notes as well that are to do with the subject we've spoken about. I think we've got time for more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And like I said, I think sometimes when you're here, to, when you're hearing to people talk about big subjects, but you're having a laugh about it, it's not so heavy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Like someone sits in the room and said, "Listen, we're going to talk about the wealth of nations." I switch off, man. If I someone says the wealth of nations and they're having a bit of a laugh about it, you'll listen because it doesn't seem like work. And like the zines, the podcast, it's changing the view of what work is. So I know the PhD is a written piece of work, right? So we will have to do a lit review. We will have to do a fucking pain in the arses to do. But if we can make it a bit of a more enjoyable process, it's not so lonely. It's not so soul-destroying. Yeah, no? definitely. Oh, thank you to the politics of representation. This is literally one of the best seminars I've ever been to. I don't feel like I've been like an academic day. It's been so great. Well done. Like, congratulations. Like, round of applause. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society. Please support the podcast by rating, following and subscribing on your preferred podcast platform. And please consider supporting the production of the podcast by joining our Patreon community.